Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. Yar! Yar! It is your host, Zach, and my trusty uh, first matey here is... It's Jared. Hi, Jared. <laughs> How are you? I don't know. I'm all caught up in this pirate theme because one of the games that we played was pirate-themed, and then we were just talking about Sea of Thieves. I'm just feeling very piratey right now. I can't help it. No, that's fair. <laughs> so this week's episode is going to be covering Solve Our Shirts from CU Adventures, which Absolutely. is Escape the Maze from the Minotaur. And then the other one is the Treasure Trove of Pirate Cove. That is impressive because I guarantee you I will butcher one, if not both of those names, but especially the pirate. I keep saying the Pirate Cove of Treasure, some combination of those four words comes out. How could you, Jared? Jared, we did a whole ad where you you did it perfectly. I it's the rhyming and it's all treasure and pirates and, and, and gear. But yeah, so we're going to be getting to talk about those two games here in a little bit. Stick with us after this little ad. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape dash the-crate.com and use code PUZZLINGCO, puzzling C-O, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now here in the first section of the show. This part of the show is simple. This is where Jared and I get to discuss the episode or the games that we played and kind of go over it, talk about what we liked about the game, what we thought could potentially be room for improvement. Not the dog the game, but more just to talk about what we liked and what we thought could potentially be different. So, Jared, would you like to tell the people at home, um, in their car, on their bike, Working out. On their ship. On their ship. <laughs> working out uh, in a maze um, what Solve Our Shirts are about. Absolutely. So Solve Our Shirts is by CU Adventures. If you remember our episodes on Floor 13 and Lost Temple, we've covered some of their digital games, kind of mixed print and plays. But this is barely straightforward. It is a t-shirt, but it's not just a t-shirt, Zach, as you well know. But the game plays with the primary medium being the shirt. And then you are, in addition to that, using their same online system that they use for their print and play mixed mm -hmm. medium games. Very fantastic. Like, yeah, I just, the games were so good. Jared, do you know what a pirate's favorite letter is? R. You're incorrect. It's actually the C from CU Adventures. But yes, these were honestly fantastic at the play. I really enjoyed getting to play both of them. But first, Jared, we're going to cover one by one what we thought were likes as well as room for improvements. And then I think we're just going to talk about them as a whole, kind of comparing them between each other. So Jared, I want you to start us off. What did you like about the Escape from the Maze of the Minotaur? 
I mean, we were only going to say a couple things, but there's just so many things. That's true. But I'm going to start talking about the puzzle masking. Okay. And I think that's leveled up here in this because you're literally talking about a t-shirt. Yep. So your ability now to hide things beyond paper, traditional paper, it's more difficult Mm -hmm. in my opinion, right? Like you're limited in screen printing by what you can now put on that shirt. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away by the way in, especially because we're talking Minotaur, right? Yep. Um, By how they were able to do that. There's some stuff, you know, you, you see letters here and there, but by and large, like if you didn't know that there was a puzzle game involved in this shirt, you would just think it's another t-shirt that somebody's wearing. It looks fantastic. Yeah. But how do you feel? I, I felt the puzzle masking was A++. No, it was really good. I mean, obviously, there are some puzzles that you can see pretty clearly on the shirt. Like, if you look at it, you're like, okay, that looks. Right, it looks, but I would say, like, it looks out of place. Like, you're Correct. like, there's something up with this shirt. But you're not like, just saying, like, oh, that's a Sudoku. Oh, yeah, but I mean, the, like, literal shirt is phenomenally done in terms of the design, the art style that matches the puzzle masking so that it feels like, oh, that could genuinely be just be a really cool shirt. Yes, also, yes, it throws you off a little bit in terms of like, that looks a little off. However, you could argue like if someone came by, you could be like, well, that's technically not even a puzzle. And then lie to them because they wouldn't even question it. You know, like, it looks very, it's very well done in terms of how it's masked. The other thing I really liked about the maze of Minotaur is the aha moments that we had in this game. Dude, they were so good. There's two that I really liked. I don't want to spoil them too much in how they work, but both involve actually not the exterior of the shirt. I think it is very difficult for experienced players to have quality aha moments. Yes. And I agree. There were two moments in this game where I was just like melting in my chair at how fantastic that was. And, yep. and, uh, oh, it was just like, I, that, that made me love the game. Like I can think about games that we've played over the past couple of years and before where that thing happened, right. That you, since then have seen in other games, Yes, but it was your first time seeing it in something. And that, amplified the experience for you probably made it more memorable than the second time you saw it yeah but there were things in this game that we had seen before but they were elevated and they created just really cool really really cool aha moments especially for the shirt being the medium i was gonna say that's the big part is that the shirt being the medium is what really ties the knot for it It, because it it does so well like the aha moments themselves are cool but like how they've hidden it into the shirt is what makes it amazing, to be honest. I totally agree with you. It is a marvel. Like, we've seen different types of games being put into all different parts of mediums, but they used the shirt. Yeah. Like, they used every fiber of that shirt in order to do some really, really, really cool things. Yeah. We didn't even dive into how great the puzzling was. Just overall, it was just like, yeah, I agree with the hype around yeah. these. Oh. 100% agree yeah. with the hype around Solve Our Shirts. Really, really fantastic. Yeah, it's all really good. Now, we're going to move into the room for improvements for the Maze and the Minotaur. Jared, there wasn't many things we didn't like about no. this game, I, but there were two things that I think you and I both kind of agreed on that we could discuss. So, yes. Jared, would you like to talk about the first one? So, the first one is actually the more difficult of the two for me to talk about. I feel way stronger about our second point, but it was so hard. The game almost like... I don't want to say hurt itself, but because there were so many wonderful puzzles and so many aha moments, it was just like, what's next? What's next? Like, that was fantastic. That by the time we got to the last puzzle, 
I didn't feel like it was the appropriate level of excitement to end on. Mm. It wasn't, um, it, it was a kind of difficult puzzle. It wasn't the hardest thing we've ever seen, No, but it wasn't something that got me excited about the medium the yep. way that other puzzles had. Yep. The story in these games is kind of here or there for me, right? Yep. So it just, it narratively and on a puzzle medium note, I think I would have preferred to end on more of a bang moment. Yep. And I didn't feel like we did. The lead up to the final puzzle is what the bang was. Yeah, And then you totally. get to the final puzzle and it's like, oh, cool. This is where I feel like it's going to get, I say crazier. It's not maybe the right word, but it's going to go off on an even bigger climax. Yeah. And it kind of just goes, okay, do this puzzle and then it's done. Right. So it and felt not as climatic. And again, not a bad puzzle. Oh, no. The, yeah, the puzzle point. the puzzle that we did at the end is, is a great puzzle. Good level of involvement in that. I think they had just done so, so well on the rest of the shirt. I was like, I had built up the anticipation and maybe I was wrong for that. But still, when you're stacking like your favorite puzzles, yeah. I don't think the last one falls in the top five yeah. of the ones that we played throughout the game. That's fair. What did you think about, because um, this is something that's different between the two shirts. There is a deluxe version of Maze of the Minotaur and our lovely friends at Your Adventures were kind enough to send us that version of it. Mm -hmm. We got to play through that. I personally didn't think it stacked up to the rest of the experience, but what were your thoughts on it? No, it ends up being the same. I thought the puzzles were more challenging, which is really cool. It does add a new element to the game. There's also an element that's kind of hidden in the original experience. Which was cool. Which is cool, being like, oh, that's what that's for. Like, to help solve this, you know, deluxe edition puzzle. However, it felt unfortunate or that it missed something. It didn't involve the shirt enough in the way that I wanted it to. Absolutely. It felt like it was a puzzle on its own that did, like, look at the shirt for a second. But it was basically like, you're going to reference the shirt for a second, but most of the puzzle is self-contained with these items right that you're given. Absolutely. It, it, I wanted it to come back to the shirt more. Like, that's what I, I think I would have been expecting if I was someone purchasing this shirt. And honestly, I think the gold is just in the basic pack. Unless you're a super puzzly person, you're looking. There were some great tangibles yes. in that last little premium pack. But I think uh, if it was me doing it all over again, I would have been just more satisfied playing the shirt mm -hmm. without the deluxe package. Yeah. But that's just me. Let's bump over to Treasure Trove. What'd you like, Zach? There's a lot to like with the Treasure Trove of Pirate Cove. <laughs> I can't Nailed. believe I'm still getting it. Nailed it. I'm totally not looking at a sticker that has the name on it to help me uh, get this right every time. But there was a lot to like about this game. There wasn't really much, I would say, in terms of like what I didn't like. I would say the first big thing, though, would be the tangibility of this game. Do you mean just the shirt or more than the shirt? More than just the shirt. Now, the shirt had a lot of tangibility. However, in this game, comparatively to the Maze of Minotaur. This one had more tangible items you have to interact with, like papers or a bottle and some other items that you get throughout the experience. It was really cool getting to have a bunch of these small interactive things that were by themselves, but were contained with the shirt. Absolutely. They like, oh, you get to add these two and then overlook like this part of the shirt it was really interesting. Like and, getting and that, to combine those things. And that's a good point that we should bring up. This game does take place over envelopes as well. Yes. So the game system that you're working through digitally online will tell you, hey, now open this envelope, open this envelope. Yep. And that's where a lot of the tabletop aspect of this version comes through. But I agree with you. I think they included some things that were a lot more fun to engaging, to interact with the shirt. Mm -hmm. thought that was really cool. I also thought 
in terms of the puzzling, I think the aha moments were more fun in Minotaur, but I may have liked the overall puzzling experience of Treasure Trove a little bit better, just because I remember multiple times where we didn't realize we were working on a multi-step puzzle. Yes. And we were like, boom, got it. And then the game was like, not nah, dog. No. Like, <laughs> you think you got it. We tried to input our answer and we were like, no, that's, that's right. But then there was an extra step, an extra level. I think from an experienced puzzle player perspective, I enjoyed that a lot. Yes. Because it really used up more of the shirt, made us think a little bit more because we were just so certain that we had this done. And then it's like, nope, that's step one. I enjoy those type of puzzles where it's layered. Yeah, the multi-step puzzles in this game, specifically the treasure trove of Pirate Cove. But I think the other part that you're bringing up kind of, which we'll talk about more in a little bit, is that I felt like, just to make a clarification, we did play Maze of the Minotaur first. Yes. Then we played the treasure trove of Pirate Cove. Absolutely. So, you know, take what you want from that. It, we did, I, I told Jared, and we'll talk about it a little bit, I felt like we were just not super prepared for the multi-step part of the Maze of Minotaur. But then when we got to Treasure Trove, we were more Cove, looking for it. We were looking for it pretty quickly. So we only got stuck on like one of those style puzzles in the Treasure Trove game. But a lot of them we caught on super quickly. It's an interesting discussion we can have a little bit later. But what we thought of the difficulty between the two. No, I, I think that's fair. And I think that's moving into our room for improvements is... Personally, I just felt like the shirt was used more creatively in Minotaur versus Trove. I liked, um, again, the tangibles that came with this. Yes. But some of the things that happened in Minotaur were just like, no way. It was just really wild. Now, having said that, I think if we had played the game's reverse, maybe that would be the way that I would do it going forward. Yeah. I could see that. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I think Treasure Trove of Pirate Cove is a this is my opinion. I think it is the more streamlined, simpler of the two games in terms of that it feels like there's less craziness with the shirt, but it's more like here's some good puzzles that rely on the shirt, you're still doing it, but there's not much like crazies outside of that. Right. And you go like, okay, do this, do this, do this. You get a really good understanding of how the multi-step puzzles work. The digital aspect does a good job of helping you kind of realize that and kind of gives you more hints, in my opinion, than Minotaur did yep. naturally. And then you get it. While Minotaur felt like there were some more multi-step puzzles that felt more difficult, but like I said, we played it first, so we weren't expecting it as much. Absolutely. But the puzzles were a little more difficult, but there was more aha moments. There is a really cool aha moment, though, with the Treasure Trove t-shirt that it was at the end that I really liked. Yes, I will say that Playing Treasure Trove will whet your appetite for playing Minotaur. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's hard too because we're talking, honestly, what we're talking about is the difference between like getting 100 on a test, which is Maze of the Minotaur for me, and getting a 95 on a test, which is Pirate's Cove for me. That's how I think about it. So like if you're asking me what was my favorite, I would definitely say it was Minotaur. Theming too, you and I love uh, Greek mythology, Greek mythology stuff. and stuff. Like that's just going to give us... Pirates is more of the fairly consistently used thing. That's com true. Comparatively. Um, I will say, though, in Pirates, I did enjoy the lightheartedness oh, yeah. of, of the narrative, the things that we learned along the way. <laughs> Singing along. <laughs> Throw that out there. Yeah. But overall, like, yeah, we're talking about two games that if you're listening to our podcast, you care about puzzle games. Easy, easy pickup. 
Oh, yeah, they're like, very much worth it. Minotaur's top of my list of games that we've played. Like, it's up there. Just really amazing things that they were able to accomplish through this medium. Also, you get to wear it. That's Heck like the yeah. nice part. Absolutely get to wear it. And then, then it just people are like, what are you doing with that shirt? And you're like, oh, you need to go buy this shirt. I think even Neil Patrick Harris had it up on his uh, email blast. I believe so, yes. Yeah, which is really exciting for them as well. And I think that just speaks like he's only going to associate himself with like really quality stuff. This is a fantastically quality set of shirts. I hope that there's more in the future. Yes, agreed. 100%. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for our first section. We got puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Man, I'm just really enjoying Deadbolt Mystery Society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. That doesn't sound right. No, 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 Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog. That's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back, everyone, to Puzzling Company here in the second section of our show in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. If you haven't played a Deadbolt Mystery game, what are you doing? They're really fantastic. Play it. Play it. Here in the middle of section two, we are going to talk about something a little different, something that I feel like this genre of specifically when we're talking tabletop or subscription, things like that, it kind of is known for. Okay. But doesn't always necessarily affect the game itself. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Interesting. And okay. what I'm talking about today, and I think it's just super prevalent with what we played today, is the concept of a keepsake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or a gift. We have cited this in many games as saying we really liked that this company was thoughtful enough. But mm -hmm. I want to take this in a lot of different sections today. First of all, Zach, I just want to ask you, does it matter to you? And what I mean by that is, do you enjoy keepsakes, number one? And number two is, would you go out of your way to buy a game if you knew it had better keepsakes? That's a really interesting question. I think it does matter, but I don't think it's my opinion. I've seen people who really like certain style of games because they know, I forget the name of the company, so I, I apologize. But I know there's one company that makes these like games that have these really big keepsakes. Are you thinking of Mysterious Package? Yes. Yeah. I think so. We're like, you get like this crazy idol figure or some might argue that's all you get is keepsakes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what I mean though. Like people like that stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's cool. I don't think it matters as much personally to me. I think it is really cool and there are really thoughtful ones. However, it ends up being that it just goes on like, I mean, it's cool that it goes on display, but it's basically on our shelf right, or on the wall. And then I end up actually liking stickers more than anything, to be honest. That's your like, so if you got a sticker, that would be your favorite thing. If the sticker's well-made and looks cool, yes. I don't mean that meanly against anyone who does stickers and I don't like them, but I think there are really thoughtful things people 
do make. Like I said, I think in general, it's a nice gesture. So I always will appreciate it. However, I don't think it's necessary to a game. So you, if you saw that like a game was like, oh, we have these really sick takeaways, giveaways, gifts, whatever you want to call them. That's, that's all I knew about the company. Yeah. That's, that's not driving your dollar. No, I'd want, for me, I'd want the, the experience to be the important part. Now, if the keepsake provides more to the experience or feels like a gigantic reward for that experience, yes. then I would want it. However, if you're just like, oh, we have really cool keepsakes, but our puzzles are meh. Yeah. Then why would I want to play the experience? I'd rather just buy the keepsake. That's fair. You know, or go buy something like it. That's fair. For me, keepsakes are important, but I don't always end up valuing what the intended keepsake is. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like when you look at our wall, there are some keepsakes that are very intentional. We try to hold on to keepsakes that we can, but a lot of them, I would say the overwhelming majority have been like a cool looking thing, our favorite puzzle. I like remembering these games, and I think that the keepsake is an important element of it because they're single play experiences for the most part. Yes. Yeah. So then therefore the memory of that game, that's only going to happen once. It's the same thing. If you go to like a concert, you buy the t-shirt for the tour. Yep. You're not going to show up a second time. Most people won't show up a second time for the tour. Some people are fanatical. They'll absolutely do that. Nothing wrong with that. Mm. But I, I do think that in our world, that it is a very important thing to do in some way. It can be digital, not saying it has to be physical. I think about it. Like I, I look at our wall and I look at our closet and our shelves and I'm, 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 it's a element of pride. Yeah. It's like, look at all this amazing stuff that we've, that we've gotten to do. But I also agree with you is that it's not enticing enough for me to do that. But for example, I, I threw some shade at mysterious package company earlier. Their earlier games are primarily narrative and keepsake. Yeah. That's not super engaging to me. Sure. Some of their later games got more puzzly and that's a little more intriguing to me, but I know that what I'm paying for when I pick up a mysterious package company game experience, whatever you want to call them is I'm paying a premium price for these relics, these large cool items. That's not super engaging to me. Sure. At all. Does it drive immersion? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They tell some wonderful stories. But at the end of the day, I'm with you. I want the narrative and the puzzles, all of that to wrap it up into something that's full. And then there's, then there's different ranges of that. Cause that's my second question to you is, does it have to be some kind of really elegant item or I know in some of our subscription boxes, every subscription box are giving you like a little something like I've seen shot glasses is a popular one, depending on the theme, buttons, things like that. Like, does that type of stuff, are you appreciative of it or could you really just kind of do without it? I think I'd always appreciate it because I know that's always with good intention that they want you to have something to remember the experience by. Yes. You know, mind you, it might not be exactly what you want, but you can clearly tell they have like an intention with it. I also think it's really cool though when like subscription ones do certain buttons or like things where it feels like you're getting a collection because then you get collectors involved. You go like, oh, I want to get every mm, one of the like buttons that yes. matches the set. But I think the like price doesn't really matter to me. Like I said, I think what mostly matters is that you make an experience that I enjoyed and then you give me something that kind of either feels like a reward for that experience or gives me something that I think is worthwhile to keep, mm. you know, cause 
like I said, there's not been many keepsakes I think I've ever seen that are like, you shouldn't keep this. Like, they're obviously made for you to be like, cool, this is something like if you want to keep this nice sticker or this pen or whatever, you have it to for your availability to hold on to. And I think it's really nice because like I said, it lets people remember the experience in one way or another. Yeah, there's no, I don't think there's really a negative to adding like a keepsake at any level. Do you expect a keepsake or a better keepsake from a higher priced game? I personally don't. When I think of a game, I don't think about its keepsake. Unless the game is like, like you said, if it's like a game where they go, basically you're getting this keepsake and the rest of the game is kind of revolved around it. Then I'd be like, oh, I would expect that keepsake to be worth it. Sure. But most games we play, the keepsake isn't the priority, which is interesting because with these games, the keepsake is the puzzle, like the medium of the puzzle. Absolutely it is. So this is the one... I don't know the world out there of puzzling games and mediums used for keepsakes. However, this is one of the only ones I actively know of where majority of the puzzling is done on the keepsake itself. Yes. And it's really cool because I think they did a really good job of making it to where it feels rewarding to keep that and wear that. And you would like, that's genuinely a good shirt that I would wear somewhere and be able to like start conversations about with people. But also it was a fun experience and now I have a way to memorialize it. Like, and always walk around with it if I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to take us in down a little rabbit hole here because I want to talk about, you know, our big three categories that we talk about. We have our tabletop, primarily physical oriented games. We have our digital experiences. Today's game is somewhere a little where in between and then we have video games, right? Mm-hmm. These are the three kind of puzzly avenues, main primary rivers that all of our games kind of shoot down from. Okay. You don't really get keepsakes from video games, Zach, or do you? It's an interesting question. I think you kind of do with some video games slash digital games, but I don't think it, I mean, obviously it's not physical. Most games. I mean, right. I don't know many that do physical ones, Yeah. but you do usually get like trophies or achievements are partially like a mm. um, a reward or a keepsake that you get from games is that it's showing what you've done and what you've done in the game and then there's more to collect and gain from it. And then, but then there's also like um, winning screens or like credits that have like your character involved because I know video games that do that or digital games we've played where like the big end is that there's like a, you know, there's like a picture that we get to take and it has us in it. Yes. You know, stuff like that. I think that's really cool. It's a way to be able to kind of have that element of it. Because, I mean, one of the biggest things I've known in, in video games that I've played, you know, most of my life is that achievements and screenshotting those achievements makes me feel like that's my way of being like, I did it. And then yes. I can show it to someone and be like, this is my keepsake from all of my years there you of go. like World of Warcraft is killing this end boss on this difficulty, whatever. You know, and then the at home games or the tabletop ones, keepsakes are definitely more common yes than the other two but they do range in in quality and types of ones but i think it's interesting because that's what i thought you were basically going to bring up was that the how digital and video games don't but i think genuinely i think achievement slash the picture part is the reward you get you went exactly through some of the things that i were thinking in the digital world like i'm thinking about when we played uh, dracula's new friends yes yeah and we had a really fun picture at the end of it and i think Digital escape games and live actor escape games are wildly smart to do that type of thing. Yep. And then I'm 100% on board with you with video games, especially because honestly, I think it's one of the, I'd say the top three things that Steam did right is achievements. Yep. Because those achievements are public. 
Yep. They're revisitable. They are digital trophies. Yes. That you get to go look at. And that's the other thing about these keepsakes that we've been kind of hovering around is the concept of displaying them. Yep. Right? Why is that so important, Zach? That's actually an interesting question. Like, why is it so, like, I'm, I love our wall of games. I love our closet. Why is that so important? Never thought about that in like a full context. Cause I think it's cool showing off the time you spent and what you achieved. Mm. And I think it's a cool way of being like, oh, this is my physical or digital proof of the time I spent was worth it to yes. me. Or like, even if it wasn't fully worth it, this is the time I spent towards it. And I can show like what I did. And you can think of that at many levels, like what you've done with your life or like, you know, the games you played or stuff like that. But like, again, video games or digital games, it's easier because I just, I say easier, but for me, it's like, oh, this is like when I'm going to use World of Warcraft as an example, because that's an easy one for you to do. When you completely kill the final boss at the like max rating level, that is your like biggest dopamine hit you get. You're like, I've done it. I've worked hard for months or however long it takes you to complete a raid. Uh, to kill that boss. Here's my achievement. I'm going to show it to people to go like, ha, I did it. I did something that most other people couldn't, you know, or don't actively do. And, it, and it's cool. It, it's your, it's pride in like knowing you did well at something or potentially put the time and an effort in. I agree. I think it has an, I think exactly what you said. I think it has an internal component, like to where I look at the wall and I'm like, man, those are some really great memories. And I'm super excited. We got to play all those games and meet all those creators. And it reminds me of where we've come from and oh, some, yeah. and some the of the fun stories. But then I 100% agree with you of saying is there's also this external, whether it's non-competitive pride mm-hmm. to other people, or it can be just straight up like, look what I have, look what I did, look what you haven't done. Yeah. Like there's that element. And I think that's more of kind of what happens in video games versus tabletop. Oh yeah. One of the things I love to do on steam is like to see like what percentage of players that have purchased the game have completed this level of what, whatever it is in the game. Oh, cause they, they tell you that. They They tell you that they're smart. And it's, so it's like, it's like, Oh, 8% chose this decision. You're like, Oh, only 8% only this. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, I kind of want, or I'm playing hollow Knight right now. Yep. And there are some crazy achievements in that game. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But it's this debate in my mind. It's like, do I want to 112% this game? Like, yeah. and be part of the, like the few, the proud, the answer is going to be no, but it's out there. So I just think it's super interesting how that is evolving playing into that. I'm going to throw something that's kind of in the popular zeitgeist at you. How does that then make you feel as we move more digitally about NFTs? I'm going to be honest. I'm not big in NFT stuff. Maybe I'm just not educated in NFTs, but I honestly just don't look into it much or really care about it. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear what you say about it, but I'm not, like, I don't care either way, to be honest. I, I think whether most people like it or not, if you're a gamer, you've experienced a lesser version of an NFT through the things that we're talking about. All an NFT is, is a rare commodity in digital form. Yeah. Right? So... That's happening already. The only difference is the the monetization yes. of these rare items and the fact that it's digital. Um, and there's a lot of politics and economics, way more than what we're going to discuss. Yep. But it got me thinking like, man, these keepsakes are cool. Some of the games that we purchase from Kickstarter, yep. they're numbered. They're rare. We have, we have games in our closet that there are a limited number of copies are on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. That makes the game valuable. Like we see that all the time with 
people trying to buy old post curious games. Yep. So there's value, whether it's real or perceived value in that scarcity. And it's the same thing digitally. But I did think it was a very interesting intersection to say like keepsakes digitally are NFTs. That's what it is. But you throw in the economics of it all. And that's where it gets interesting. What will other people value? Because the picture that we took playing Dracula is a one of one. Yep. Right. That picture is not going to be taken again. But someone has to care enough about that picture. They want it. To I, want it. And they'll say. I was going to say, we had an offer the other day for 20 mil for it. Yeah, so and we if you will, want that picture. We will have it accredited as the only of its kind it's and true. make millions. But don't want to dive too deep into that. I know that there's some varying opinions. I've even seen some on escape room boards and digital game boards where it's like, mm, okay, this is getting a little heated. Don't yeah. really don't really want to go down that, that alley. But I did think that was um, an interesting thought. Yeah. What have been some of your, in wrapping up this section, your favorite keepsakes that we've gotten from the games? I think we need to be a little bit careful here, but what do you think? So to clarify, what do you mean by? I mean something, it, it can either be like a physical component of a game or something that was intended to you to have to display after the game was over. So as an example, like, I don't know, Rudaball Evil, the journal. Absolutely. Is like one of my favorite keepsakes. Sure. Absolutely. Whether and whether that was that is very ingrained in the game. Yes. But it also would look fantastic. I mean, it, it's display. made to for able for you to keep it. You know, it's really cool. I, I mean, you know how much work it was put into Asia and put all that stuff into it. Absolutely. It was really cool. I mean, we've gotten different stickers from different companies. I mean, we have some different like things we're including in the game, like a bottle opener gotten different pens pens are very popular pens is a deal i'm i'm thinking of one uh one creator out there that has a pen obsession that oh, i know it's active i don't know if it's, it's <laughs> there's no secret obsession it's it's very open to everyone but in a great way i mean pens are cool i mean we've got a lot i mean some of the games we've played where there's more of like a tabletop version we've gotten bigger ones like even like uh was it voc treasures you VOC get like the tre- bottle runes of odin, runes of, odin uh, has one. runes of odin is one of my favorite like that horn it just looks so good i'm looking at it right now in our closet yeah on I our mean, shelves and it looks fantastic society of curiosities has a few that we've had from games like different jewelry slash things that are included in their maddox lost treasure and posy ring i'm also thinking about murder and co because I remember in their Kickstarter and even having a chat with them, they made the intentional decision to every box that are giving you a premium keepsake. Yes. Like from the very first one, we have that giant feather magnifying glass. Yep. Lots of cool things. And that's what and that's what some do. Like I'm even thinking of Hunt a Killer has some upgraded boxes where you get mm-hmm. some keepsakes. And we haven't even talked about stuff. I think that stuff drives so much sales on Kickstarter. Yep. The more that you can touch and identify as a keepsake and this and that, we recently... Oh, I'm actually going to save that. Yeah. I'm going to save a little bit of mystery. Don't spoil everything. I'm not going to spoil that. I wanna, I'm want to. i going to make everybody guess what even I was going to say without any context. But yeah, I'm looking around at, at some of them. Like I'm looking at a, a lay, a frisbee, mm-hmm. a big flag, yep. a banner, locks, black lights... There's a lot of cool things. Um, you, reusing the USB stick from USB Escape. Let's yeah. talk about a keepsake. <laughs> <laughs> like that. That's that's legit. There's some really cool stuff out there. But I just thought it would be intriguing to jump into the world of keepsakes and kind of hash that out with you. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I think that there's a lot to do. We appreciate the memories that creators intentionally throw out there. Agreed. Last hot take question. Okay. Does the world that we cover do it better than escape rooms? 
Keep Sega wise. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh yeah. Oh, I think the escape room, that's part of the reward itself. And then you just get like most places I know, you know, obviously different levels do different things. We've gotten wristbands. Like I'm actively wearing some from when we played in the netherworld in Georgia. Yep. You know, we've had some where it's the photo is the main part of it. We have some of it where you can get shirts and stuff like that. If you want to keep it. So like remind you of your journey. However, I feel like most places I've gone, it's been none or limited. So you kind of get not a lot of it's also free depending on the place you go to. Right. Um, stickers is probably a popular one too. I know a few places do that very commonly, but I feel like at home games, you are trying to sell it to do at home. And I think having keepsakes is a way to kind of show at your house while escape rooms, usually it's like the experience of going there and it's about like the photo, like if you want to take a photo after, but it's just like, it's more about that experience itself and paying for that Yes, more than it's about the keepsake. Cause really at the end of the day, you can go back and play more rooms. Um, just, you know, just like at home games, but the difference is that you played at home and it's like a one-time experience while escape rooms are mostly a one-time experience. However, you can always go back to it, like and play a new game or I just think, different. I just think that I agree. I'm, I don't think escape rooms does it as well. It lends itself. I think especially the tabletop world to doing it a little better. Yeah. But I also think even personally looking at what we do, I'm like, Oh, we could step up our game. Oh yeah. We could step sure. up our game on that. Okay. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our second section. We have questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey everyone, Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. We've done this for local police departments, federal agencies, and we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product their game works through envelopes. Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. Those stories have great twists and the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. We are now here in the third section that is questions for creators. In this section of the show, it's kind of just an area where we get to talk to the amazing people who help create the games, build the games, or attribute something to them. We've had these lovely people on before from CU Adventures, and we had them on last year for their digital experiences, The Lost Temple and Floor 13. So I don't want to spoil too much of our interview. It was great to get to see them again, uh, but we're going to get right into it. So tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you guys have been up to in the last year since we saw you. Sure. Yeah, we're Chris and Anne Lukeman, and we're uh, escape room owners and puzzle designers from Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. 
Yeah, we own CU Adventures in Time and Space, which is a, a escape room company in Urbana, Illinois. And we've also done some pop-up mobile games that have done well at Gen Con. And we've also done a few digital at-home games and Solve Our Shirts, which is kind of its own little product brand. So talking about Solve Our Shirts, why did you guys decide to do a shirt for the medium or the format of the game? Yeah, so it kind of started with the genesis of lockdown was very toughly enforced in 2020 in Illinois, like we were physically closed for a long time. And that made us pivot to the digital games, Lost Temple and Floor 13. And as 2020 was drawing to a close, uh, we were looking at another lockdown in November, which was looking to be really tough for one of our busiest months. And we decided before then that we wanted to try and put something together that would make sort of the perfect puzzle lovers Christmas gift. Because the digital games are great, but they're not an excellent gift to give to someone to unwrap. So we thought about that for a while. We noodled about that. And Chris, uh, Chris had had the idea puzzle shirts, question mark, written down on one of yeah. his uh, one of his notepads up for a long time and was just kind of waiting for a, uh, a moment to strike with it. Yeah. So we we sort of approached it tactically. We knew that this was something that not really anyone had jumped into. Um, there were a few at home puzzle game boxes that had a T-shirt as part of the ephemera where there'd be one or two clues on it, or it would just be the, the congratulations. But we tried to make it, the, the whole deal is to celebrate and make people use the shirt. And then they have a great souvenir after they have played that they can, uh, they can use again and again. So it was a little bit of like marketing tactics. We want something for Christmas. We want something that's gonna succeed in the Christmas season. And then once we had decided on the format, we wanted to use the shirt in interesting ways that can surprise people. Yeah, I mean, it's a gimmick at its heart. Um, the entire puzzle game and a full hour length, you know, or a full length game or whatever it is, hour plus in some cases, it's all on the t-shirt. And every part of it is about the t-shirt. And there are things you can do in this game because it's a t-shirt that you couldn't do with any other kind of puzzle format. And so we really wanted to lean into the gimmick and make it as, as true to form as we possibly could. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not kidding anyone that we're like exciting visionaries with the medium of the shirt or anything like that. But we, uh, we have tried to uh, make sure we use it in interesting ways and surprising ways and make sure that it feels like it deserves to be what it is. Like, because each pack also has other you know, in-world documents, envelopes to open, website interactions. But at the heart, we want people to, to jump back and forth in the shirt. And hopefully when they wear it later or even just see it in their dresser, they remember some of the fun times they've had solving those puzzles. With Solve Our Shirts, what were some complications or some obstacles that you guys ran into with creating the game on the shirts? One of the things we don't necessarily love about take-home, you know, at-home escape rooms is you end up with a bunch of stuff that you don't use. Um, and I don't have room for any more stuff. If it's really cool, I will keep it. But often I just have to throw it away. And I hate that. So we wanted it to be something that you could keep and you could remember as part of the game, but something you would actually use that actually has a use in your life. It was a hard balance that we had to hit between making good, interesting puzzles that were able to be printed on a shirt but not having it be extremely obvious or super distracting 
finding that balance where there's a lot going on with the shirt and you don't immediately see everything, I think was, was really, really challenging. We have a tendency to design games like to a fault that we would enjoy. And part of that is the, the challenge is it's a heavier challenge than people think. And it's a heavier challenge than a lot of our audience expect. Just the difficulty that we wanted the shirt to have to be a unsurprising, deep experience for enthusiasts of games like these, measured against the fact that a lot of the people that purchased, you know, probably around half of our audience purchases locally as presents for their family, as, you know, grandparents buying for kids, families that have enjoyed our in-person escape rooms, wanting to play something at home. And a lot of those folks have not played other puzzle games. And there's sort of a back and forth between making sure it's a good experience for both audiences. And that's something I think we do really well with our escape rooms here. And that was a really interesting struggle with the shirts. Yeah, I mean, that was a challenge for us for all of our at-home games. Um, so much of we what we do in person is reading the groups that are playing making sure that they're going to have the best time possible for their particular group for their level. So we do a lot of modifications to the game and modifications to the way the game master approaches them so that it's really, really fun. If it's your first time and you have no idea what you're doing, or if you're an enthusiast who's played a thousand games. And so once we moved to the at-home space, it was so hard because we didn't have that immediate feedback. The, the game masterless experience was absolutely mind-boggling for us. So that was, I think, one of the really, really big challenges we had specifically for the shirt, but really for, for all of our at-home games is figuring out how to do this kind of experience without a Game Master present. Uh, and I guess the other thing I'd say is we did have a lot of back and forth with the printer to make sure that everything printed correctly, because as you, as you know, we have a lot of very small, fine lines and text on the shirt and a lot of surprises. So making sure that the printer was getting everything exactly right. And, you know, they didn't know the puzzles, so they didn't know what they were looking for. We had to go over there a couple of times for both shirts and, and look at it and be like, okay, this is good, but we need this to be clear, that kind of stuff. The I guess the backend challenge was we were pretty committed to doing everything in-house for these packs. We uh, had the shirts printed locally. We didn't print the shirts in our building. But one of the reasons that Solver Shirts was so attractive as a project to us is because when lockdown happened for the second time around Christmas uh, 2020 um, to 2021, we had lots of Game Master staff and we were not able to be open to the public. We could be open, we could do stuff, but we could not be open to the public as an entertainment venue. And so we kind of set, put together a uh, Santa's workshop experience of packing these shirts, doing some additional sewing on each one, doing some additional alterations, you know, printing all the documents, quality checking all the documents, stuffing all the documents. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And this was for Minotaur when, when that came out, we were closed for a month and a half and it was a great way of making sure that we were still able to, you know, have all of our employees who needed to work to make their budget come in and, and get hours. Um, it, it worked out great for that. And then when uh, Treasure Trove came around, we were open full time. So we uh, had other challenges of making that work while we have players. Luckily, we had 
a lot of experience knowing what was easy to do in-house and what was really annoying to do in-house. So for the pirate shirt, we did a lot less in-house. We we sent our printing out like intelligent business owners. Uh, so we didn't have to print it all in-house. And we had a lot less that we were physically doing to the shirt, which helped. There was still a lot of stuffing envelopes mm. and stamping and all, all kinds of stuff like that. But it was a lot less than Minotaur. Yeah, we just had to approach what secrets we are going to put in the shirt tactically from the, well, how many hours is this going to actually take to do to a thousand shirts? Mm -hmm. Like, what is that going to do to staff morale? Is this a bad, is this a truly annoying thing to do versus just a repetitive kind of boring thing? We said this a lot when Minotaur came out, but doing anything a thousand times is wild. And so for... To, to do this as spoiler-free as possible. For the Minotaur shirt, we did three things to the shirt. For Treasure Trove, we did one thing to the shirt. And that, well, I guess we did two things to the shirt, but it was one and a half. It was, it was half the amount of, of effort, um, and that was absolutely clutch in, in getting it done. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened without those logistics. And it honestly wouldn't have happened if we had to deal with sending it out of country to, to pack. Like, mm -hmm. it just... Those sort of supply headaches are not something we felt prepared to wade into. Yeah, we, we really lucked out because we had very few supply chain woes because we mm -hmm. were doing everything so hyper-locally. Yeah, we had to go back and forth on the colors of the shirts a few times because of what was in stock and what was easy in that respect. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, it was a lot of interesting challenges with both of these. Um, but at its heart, we wanted to make sure the puzzles were good for all audiences that would possibly get it. Between Jared and myself, Zach, uh, who would you rather have make a new Solvar shirt and why? I, uh, okay, so I'm going to go with Jared on the basis that I think there's a good, I don't know what the like aesthetic for the shirt would be, but I think there's some good like prohibition detective mafia tales that uh, would complement what we did with, we've got the pirate theme, we've got the, the labyrinth theme. I, I think something in that space would be, would be neat. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's fun. I also now want the shirt to be a stupid tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> Not exactly the direction I was going, but- Come on now, come right. on. Yeah, I don't know if you could do a tuxedo t-shirt where if you like pull on the fake bow tie, it does something. <laughs> yeah, you could like sew it in like it's a pocket. So what's in the, for the future of CU Adventures? If it's solver shirts, your digital experiences, if it's the escape rooms, um, just tell us a little bit about what's coming up in the future for you guys. Yeah, we're currently in the middle of production hell for a new escape room. Um, we're doing a spaceship. It's the most ambitious uh, tech heavy, production design heavy experience we've done in seven years. Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, we, we did spend a lot more time working on our at-home games. And so we kind of stopped working on this in-person game because we didn't know when we were going to be up to full capacity again. And so now we're like, oh crap, we need to get this game done. It's been like sitting here waiting forever and ever and ever. So yeah, we've been just absolutely throwing all of our time and energy at getting this, this spaceship up and running. Yeah, Rise of the Icarus. Uh, it's going to be a two-part game, probably two missions in the space, which we're really excited about. We're designing it from the ground up that when we do a the first version of the game that will open, Rise of the Icarus is going to be uh, for two to eight players and will be more of a family-friendly kids' adventure 
Um, and then we're going to do a sequel to it called Fall of the Icarus. In the same space. Using in the, the same, same space. Yeah. That will be uh, four to eight players and will be a very dark and spooky uh, version of the game in more of an aliens aesthetic. And we're designing the whole thing around the concept of the two missions and the time passing between the two missions. And hopefully we'll be able to switch it in and out seamlessly without having to, to do anything with props. Yeah, it's it's been very, uh, very tricky to manage building two games in one space at the same time. But yeah, it should be uh, it should be fun and I think it'll surprise people. Hopefully the first mode is exciting enough that people really want to come back and play again. Hopefully we finish it very soon. Yeah. What are some other games that you guys would recommend or that you guys have been playing recently? If that's board games, video games, at-home escape rooms. We just like shouting out other companies and just want to see what you guys have been up to. Yeah, uh, we bit into we finally bit into Light in the Mist a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just played so maybe good. maybe a third of it, maybe a half yeah. of it. It's so good. I am ready to dive in and finish it once we have time. It it was beautiful and so much fun and very satisfying. Yeah, that was fun. We were we were at a cabin that didn't have internet, so it was a perfect game because we didn't have to we didn't have to look anything up. I mean, we didn't have to use the internet at all. We just vibed with it. It was it was really cool. Yeah, it was great. We recently did an escape room and mini golf trip up up to the Twin Cities. Yeah, we drove uh, we drove up to Minneapolis and we stopped in Wisconsin Dells on the way to play the new Wizard Quest, which was a blast and is going to be very very cool. Um, if you know anything about us, we talk about Wizard Quest all the time and how influential it is. They move from their 12,000 square foot facility to a 30,000 square foot facility. So it is absolutely massive. And they've only got one quest going kind of at once, but you can see how they're going to adapt it and have lots of different things happening. Yeah. As long as you don't go in thinking it's an escape room, highly recommend checking it out, regardless of how you feel about the marketing or anything. If it feels like it's too kiddie or anything, it's a really solid game. Yeah. Let's see. It was a two hour game and we finished with a minute left, maybe. I think maybe we were a minute over. We had found an item that gave us five extra minutes. But yeah. I mean, it was difficult. It was tricky. It was hard. And it was satisfying. It was bonkers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think the best way to reframe it in like the conversation of larger immersive pieces, it's kind of like how Meow Wolf is mostly an art installation with a little bit of a game. This is mostly a game with a little bit of an art installation fee. It like flips the mm -hmm. flips the script and it's all fantasy themed and it comes from a place of like early 2000s late 90s fantasy which is in a really goofy and serious and intricate genre of its yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the best comparison if you're aware of Meow Wolf is to compare it to Meow Wolf because it's a big huge facility that has lots of beautiful set decor, things you can like wander around and climb in, lots of secret entrances and, and secrets to discover, but it's not coming from that kind of uh, high artistic place. It's coming from a, let's build the four realms and a wizard's castle place. Uh, it's very, very cool and very nerdy. And we just, it's a blast. And you walk in and it's clearly targeted towards tourists and kids. The Wisconsin Dells is really, really, touristy area. It's like Branson or Gatlinburg, that kind of level. 
but it's so much better than it has to be. And it's so much more for adults than it needs to be. It doesn't need to be this good. You can just tell that the people who are making it are so interested in making it a fun experience for adults too. And and that's what I really love about it. Yeah, there's an app-driven game that uh, sends you on different quests to magical creatures that are in life-size molded diorama, concrete sculpture, everything mm-hmm. all across the the game. It's really solid. It's yeah. a it's a fun game. Yeah, I mean, and it started back in the early 2000s with physical book pamphlet that you would have a barcode on it and you would scan your barcode at kiosks all around. So it started in a very kind of it was high tech for the time, but before we had iPads and and tablets to kind of drive this kind of gameplay. So now you're given a tablet and you are able to take the tablet around. And most of the game mechanics are kind of scavenger hunt based, looking at things, but you are sent all across the space to look for different things. And because the space is so huge and everything's in universe, it it it's very satisfying. Yeah. As long as you're not a person that feels like you have to see everything. I think if we hadn't played Wizard Quest at the old location a few times before, it would have been completely overwhelming because uh, you wouldn't have completed very much. Yeah. But but you still have fun. You don't yeah. need to complete the game. Right. It's, and it's like Meow Wolf. You don't have to do all of the things. You just absorb what you can. And you can't fault them to want to have to have people come back to see it all. Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely be back. We, yeah. we go every time we're in the area. Thank you to everyone in the Puzzle People group and Escape Room Enthusiast group for hyping Solver Shirts so much. It's been such a help. Like, It's very, very much appreciated. I yeah. We try and, and like those comments when we see them, but if we don't, know that you're appreciated. Yeah, we don't love spending money at the big internet advertisers for lots of reasons. And yeah, word of mouth is the best best way to get stuff out there right now. And it's it's been so rewarding. And so we're so thankful for how many people chime in with recommendations. It's been great. Chris and Ann, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's been nice to see you guys again. Um, and we are super excited to get to see you guys at Recon here in the next week or so. Thank you for everyone else for joining in with us today for this episode of Puzzling Company. Well, if you'd like to support CU Adventures, Chris and Ann, um, there's many different ways you can do it, but the easiest way to go see all their products, if it's solver shirts, their digital experiences, their escape rooms, um, you just go to cuadventures.com. That is cuadventures.com. C, like the letter C, and U, the letter U. If you guys would like to support Puzzling Company and all of what we do, um, there's many different ways you can do it. The first is you can go follow us on all our social medias. And that's Facebook and Instagram. Just follow Puzzling Company. You can also go to our Patreon and join, be one of our patrons and join us and get content early, as well as get to join our Discord and get to talk to myself and Jared, um, have discussions, get to play games with us, so on and so forth. It's been awesome having the people on there with us. And the final thing you can do is you can go to wherever you listen to this podcast, if that is Spotify, iTunes, Google Stitcher, wherever, and you can go leave us a review, a five-star review. We would super appreciate it. That's actually going to wrap up this episode of Puzzling Company. Thank you so much for everyone listening in, joining our conversations in Discord or seeing people in the Puzzle People group. It's been an honor to keep making more episodes for you guys. Next week's episode, I'm going to leave as a secret for you guys, but we are so excited to be getting episodes back to you guys. We wish you guys a great rest of your week, and we shall see you next time. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. 
Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. Shift Cassette Studios. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.